This week's episode is brought to you by Campaign Refinery, an amazing new email marketing automation tool. Look, in the world of digital marketing, there's a lot to keep track of. We all know this. As much as we're in love with social media and the power of social conversation here at Social Link and on the All About Digital Marketing podcast, we are well aware at just how powerful email marketing can be. Email marketing is not dead. In fact, it's never been more important to help you leverage your presence everywhere else into the one channel that you'll own, regardless of what changes Facebook, Twitter, or any other platform makes in the future. I've known the founder, Travis Ketchum, for years, and he's been a past guest on the podcast, episode 15, if you want to listen to it. I've personally used his other products before, and they've been fantastic. The amount of thought that he's put into each and every one of what he's created has been incredible. I'd highly encourage you to try their free 14-day trial at campaignrefinery.com to see what world-class email marketing automation can do for you and your business. Massive thank you to Travis and Campaign Refinery for their support of the All About Digital Marketing show. Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, a digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward-thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno, and as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. Olga, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I'm really looking forward to this. And I think everyone that's listening is going to get a huge amount of value out of today's episode because you are in fact, and I'm hoping I get the title right, but the global head of marketing for SEM Rush. Yes, that's great. Fantastic. I got it right. So the, uh, for anybody who's been living under a rock or who doesn't necessarily know about SEM Rush, can you give them a little bit of an intro about, uh, about what it is and how it works? Um, yeah, sure. So SEM Rush is a software uh, built for marketing professionals, and uh, we've started with uh, tools dedicated to SEO and advertising. And now we are fully featured SEO software suite, and also, yeah, helping uh, marketers with Google Ads or Google Display Network and content they're publishing on their website, and also with uh, social media um, scheduling and uh, analytics. So what it basically means is that we have all the tools um, that marketers need to analyze how their brand um, is visible online at the moment, uh, analyze the market, understand what competitors do better, and um, get the necessary recommendations and tools to ensure that they grow their visibility um, more. Fantastic. So uh, for anybody who's listening and you want to check it out, we will make sure that there is a link, of course, in the show notes so that you can go and check out SEM Rush. Uh, Olga, what about yourself? What's your background and, and how did you end up uh, How did you end up here where you are now? 
Um, so I um, actually have studied um, e-commerce and uh, marketing and sales. Um, so I actually I always worked in in the companies or in um, in departments, um, and I'm passionate of um, about what I studied. And basically, just um, yeah, uh, that's what I've been doing for almost I think twelve, thirteen years now. So I uh, was. Um, I was working for four years in a bus company and bus tickets are not necessarily the sexiest of the products. And uh, there I was the regional sales manager and ultimately marketing um, manager. Um, and afterwards, I just I resigned and I... Um, I wasn't started being um, started exploring more in uh, about social media and how to and that was 2013 and uh, suddenly I just come, came across SEM Rush um, as a tool and I thought that this is the most amazing tool I've ever seen because it gave me the insights about my competitors what keywords they were ranking and then I also uh, recognized the logo and I've seen them on the recruitment website and I thought that whatever position this company has in my city uh, I would apply uh, for whatever they have because I believed in the product so much and they had social media marketing uh, manager position and it was exactly the webinar that was um, where, where I discovered um, about the tool. So I sent a uh, most informal cover letter saying, guys, you're so awesome. I want to work for you. And uh, within a week, I was a part of a team. And from social media uh, manager, I actually, I grew uh, to have my own uh, team. So I became head of social media. And um, then um, I was given, we uh, did a bit of a regional divisions. Um, so there was marketing team for US, for UK, for France, for Germany, for Italy, and then for different, for, for Brazil. Um, yeah, no, no, not Brazil at that point, but basically for our most important markets. And then uh, I got a team that was called rest of the world, meaning I actually had the biggest region and uh, we did lots of activities from influencers and influence marketing to content marketing, to webinars, to social media, to, well, basically um, anything we could uh, to enter new markets for SEM rush. So um from there, I just kind of grew into the role of um, overlooking uh, all of the markets we had, including English-speaking markets. That's an incredible story, and I, I like um, I like the progression. It's something that uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't seem to realize, and a lot of people seem to want to jump in at director level or you know whatever it might be, CMO level, uh, and they don't really realize that there is usually a trajectory behind the people that have got there uh, and the people that have made it there. So I think there's one thing that you did talk about there, and I really want to pick your brains on this. You, you mentioned, obviously, you started. It was social media focused uh, as the position, and that was back in 2013. Now, I have my own beliefs on this, but I'm going to wait for you to, to, to share yours first. But what do you think of social media today in terms of the opportunity that it represents to small to mid-sized businesses? Um, yeah, well, 2013, I think, was... Um a bit easier in terms of organic social media because Facebook hasn't rolled out their algorithms. Um, so basically they rolled out in 2014 um, and it became increasingly difficult uh, for uh, for pages, for companies' pages to um, 
to be visible uh, organically. So they were forced to kind of pay uh, their way to the audience. So yeah, in 2013, that was easier. And Instagram was just a new thing. And um, uh, yeah, and also smartphones didn't have that many apps and um, the variety of social media wasn't that uh, big. So I'd say that... um, in some ways, um, the access to the audience was easier, whereas now um, the the pace of change is so quick that um, you, if you spot the opportunity at the right moment, then you can be on the, this wave or the next big thing, and actually you can easily acquire audiences in the niche platforms and um so if you adopt or if you adjust to change pretty quickly then today marketing is in no way more difficult but i think the qualities that social media manager should have um changed a bit so it's interesting so from from my side when i see and i've been doing this now since 2008 um, so it really was the beginning of, uh, of social media and, and everything that was, uh, that was happening. But for me, I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of people who focus on things like the vanity metrics or that are trying desperately to, you know, become famous or influence a kind of side of things and not enough people or not enough small businesses that actually focus on what you mentioned there at the end of, uh, of what you just said the niche audience and being able to find those people where they are and to really connect with them. And I think this is something that's become a huge problem for a lot of businesses is that they're confusing the need to, to attract lots and lots of people versus actually, if you can find the right people, you don't need that many of them. And I'm wondering like from your side of things and from your experience, and obviously, you, you know, like you mentioned, you went from selling very non-sexy bus tickets yeah. <laughs> um, to, to probably one of the world leading platforms where you are now, you know, what's that kind of, um, what's that kind of focus look like in terms of really finding and drilling down on the right people and how you actually access them? I, I have to say, actually selling SEM Rush is way easier. Um, and yeah, because the product inspires, um, it sparks the emotion because I want to learn about the competition. I want to learn. I would just, I want to discover what I can do better. And this is just within my reach. Whereas, um, yeah, the, and also it's a different, it's B2C, uh, it's B2B. And then I was working with B2B, B2C. And if you want, if you want, I can, uh, also elaborate on, um, like how my take on what, how marketing is different. Um, after I answer the question. So yeah, I, um, I feel that, uh, when, uh, when I, uh, joined, I started thinking of what my strengths were, uh, compared to everyone else, uh, on the market that has been doing, um, social media for our competitors. So I not only looked at the companies, but I looked at people who were uh, posting on behalf of the brands. And I think uh, this is a really, really, really strong thing that I did. And then my my boss at the time actually made me do this. And then I now recommend everyone to do the same exercise because you ultimately identify a way you can be stronger. And social media is a place where uh, the communication is very personal and uh, the personality of whoever's posting um, really is affecting how uh, the brand 
um, um, well, is positioning itself. Uh, what I did, um, I saw that I am able to process information really quickly and I also notice people and I can remember uh, a lot of accounts or a lot of influences really quickly. And I started uh, hanging out on their pages. Um, so I didn't really care. Um, so I ensured that we had good content, but I didn't really look for the best possible unique content um, for our page. What I did, I just went and um, I was chatting to people about the posts that they have published. And then I was thanking everyone. Um, at the time, Google Plus was still around, so I was doing it there. Uh, I was thanking every opinion leader or micro-influencer uh, on sharing our posts. So I, was, I just went out and built relationships. So I actually utilized social media for what it was built for. And I think from there, we, I tapped into micro communities. And from there, like I built the advocates for the brand. And uh, we've built really strong connections. And instead, of, it was not just me um, in one and a half years, but it was really, really um, big, strong community that was advocating on our behalf. And that really helped us escalate um, the business and um, ensure that a lot more people know about the brand. So I, I loved what you said there about, you know, going onto social media and using it as it was created or what it was meant for. Uh, it's really interesting. So as an agency, we, uh, we constantly hammer and the way we've put it, this is, you know, putting the social back into social media. And it mm -hmm. really is that the amount of small to mid-sized businesses that don't necessarily see opportunities because they think that by shouting into the void and posting a link, that there, there should be a rush of people coming to them to say, hey, thank you so much for sharing that. I really want to be involved. And actually what you've talked about is exactly what we try and, and help encourage businesses to do, which is, you know, get involved in the conversation, talk to people as well. You know, you can't just expect everyone to come to you. There's nothing wrong with you going to them and finding them and finding where they hang out. And, and exactly what you've said there, you know, you're tapping into these micro communities that, eventually or invariably is where your actual target audience actually is. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pick you back up on what you said a little while ago, um, which was uh, B2B and B2C. I think this will be a great one for, for people to understand uh, and to get some, some tips and actionable advice from you. But what did you find as being the biggest challenges or the biggest differences between B2C and B2B? Um, so in B2B, um, if I'm, if uh, I buy a product and I, I'm, I'm the end consumer, then I buy it as Olga. And if I uh, buy something on behalf of my company, then I'm Olga of SEMrush. And uh, actually, well, people, first of all, people are a lot more polite uh, when they represent the company. And then they're a lot less demanding. And then uh, I think this really... Uh, sets the tone uh, for well f for all the differences because as Olga I really don't care that much of what the company would think of me and then what the implications would be if I'm an unhappy and submit a claim or if I well and if I'm happy then well it's just I might buy something once and I don't really necessarily brand needs to build relationship with me. 
Whereas in B2B, that's a two-way street, as I feel it. Well, and also, again, this, um, but the emotional connection of something that I buy as Olga is way stronger than when I buy something as Olga of STM Rush because work is just, uh, it's an important part of my life, uh, but it's still, it's a part. And then, for example, with um, comparing the bus tickets again with, uh, with the SEM Rush, I would say that uh, people use SEM Rush three, four hours a day at maximum. And then maybe some check it uh, twice a month or maybe they can do it weekly. But the time that they spent in the, in the software is really, really small compared to the product that they sometimes buy for themselves. And... Um, be it food or uh, well, or clothes or whatnot, or even bus tickets, uh, and then they travel. So the connection is stronger for B two C, and that also just um, brands who sell in B two C they need to have this um, emotional connection, and then they have a lot of more comments, and then people tend to respond a lot more aggressively, and then getting back to social media, that's really, really true. So uh, comments can maybe harsh from the audience and then um, audience can be aggressive and then they don't really choose words when they say something. Uh, whereas in B2C, in our niche, everyone's like, everyone's really selective with words. Um, everyone respects each other. But there is a lot less comments when something happens because they know that they represent the company and everyone sees them as the company and not themselves. So it's just completely different communication style. Um, also, well, and the, and the relationship with the brand uh, cannot be as strong as in B2C. Do you think that some, when it comes to sort of B2C and B2B, that people sometimes forget though that B2B, there is still another human being on the other side? Now, admittedly, like you said, they're less emotionally engaged. They represent a company. Uh, they may not always tell you exactly how they feel like, uh, like somebody would on a personal transaction or anything. But do you find that some businesses seem to forget about the fact that there is actually a human being on the other side of that decision-making process? I think that uh, uh, people sometimes forget uh, this in B2C as well, especially if they're unhappy. And then they think that the customer support specialist is the one to blame for all of um, the, their unhappiness. So I think that um, in B2B, that's just uh, depersonalized, whereas in B2C, that's personalized, but uh, that's a, there's a lot more disrespect. So I would say that... Um, just this, um, yeah, people do not forget that there is a human being, but they blame, blame them for everything or they praise them for everything. And then in B2B, they do forget that there is a human being, yes. So it's interesting. And I think we're probably going to end up going down one of my <laughs> infamous uh, rabbit holes here, but I'm enjoying this part of the conversation. So it's my prerogative. Um, but basically, so we've actually come across companies that are basically worried about using social media at any kind of bigger length or even actually about reviews and stuff like that because they're worried about those negative comments or those negative feedbacks or anything else. And I'd be interested to know from, from your side what you would recommend to, to small to mid-sized companies, you know, in terms of embracing that. And, and for us, we feel that, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest assets is that, that almost instantaneous feedback loop that you can get from social media, be it good or bad, mm -hmm. but actually using that or seeing that as a, um, uh, as a positive rather than as a negative. But what are your thoughts and take on that? I love negative feedback. 
Um, and I would take it every time. Um, and then I hate the silence. So the silence means that person doesn't care. Negative feedback means that if if a person wrote uh, to us that they're unhappy, uh, that means that they want the, the issue solved. And if we get it solved, or if we start the conversation, um, then it means well. Then for um, we have a chance to turn this person in the biggest ambassador, um, and we've done that. So a lot of times, people just need attention, and they also are pretty understanding uh, because of the reasons. If you actually are transparent enough to share the reasons of some of your decisions. So, um, yeah. And also if, if you imagine um, this, well, if the person has just a stable, non-emotional state, if they kind of swing to the negative, they will never get back to stable. They always will swing to the positive from the negative. Um, so, in, well, if you have a upset customer, by fixing their problem, you're definitely going to um, ensure that they will tell at least one person or maybe more. But if you're not going to solve the problem, then you will have definitely um, an unhappy customer who is not advocating or who is advocating against you. Um, so, yeah, we always... Um, reply to negative feedback we always reply to threads where we are mentioned and that's my personal take and well attitude to to this and um, this is what we we are sometimes not that timely with uh, with the replies and now we're fixing that but yeah definitely this is um, this was a big part of my hands-on work and now we have the whole team dedicated to monitoring negative comments and responding as quick as possible really happy to hear you say that and for everyone listening you see it's not just me that keeps banging this drum you should look at this as an opportunity and i think you know from what olga's just said there again you can hear it you can swing a negative into a positive you can take people from from where they're unhappy and into a place where actually they feel like literally the product is almost being built around them even if that's not necessarily the case but that's how people feel and exactly what Olga said there I mean, it, again you know somebody who has a, an experience like that and has an amazing experience and that feel that connection with a the brand they will tell people we've all done it you know when you've had an incredible experience on a flight or if something good happens or you know you complained about something that was bad and instantaneously there's a fix to the problem you always have that feel good factor and I think it's interesting because it's um, a bit like the NPS, uh, the Net Promoter Score. I don't know if you guys use this, uh, Olga, internally yeah. or not, or if, uh, or if you're allowed to sort of talk about that. But from from my side, the NPS, I was introduced to it probably about seven, eight years ago, uh, and it was just revolutionary to see that literally you're breaking things down between the negative, the detractors, the people who don't like you currently, and then you've got a whole big chunk in the middle, which is just it's just no man's land. It's where people really haven't connected with you on any level. They're neither happy nor sad and they don't really represent anything. And then finally you have the happy people. And I think it's such an important uh, or such a useful way of looking at it in terms of, you know, you can turn those people around and you can make even bigger brand ambassadors from something that starts off negative. Yeah, absolutely. And we do use NPS 
that's in our custom customer support department. So I don't know the score at this point. Uh, but we also we incorporate the feedback in well in every possible way. Uh, we um, have this on every dashboard in the tool. We have a user voice um, pop in uh, win, uh, pop up window, um, and we also um, have a support team working 24 hours also in social media so our social media team is integrated um, and uh, we have a special listening tab on sprout social where we assign tasks to customer support so they would take them as soon as possible and we have a live chat on the website and um, yeah we constantly gather feedback from opinion leaders and just well and we also have a private facebook group uh, for paid customers where they also uh, get the help or they talk to product owners um, and share tool wishes so we gather feedback in every possible way with marketing and customer support well, I'm happy to hear that it's not just me that's saying these things and banging these drums. So thank, thank you. And this wasn't rehearsed, everybody. This wasn't uh, something that we talked about beforehand. Um, okay, cool. So from my side, obviously your tools and, and you're, you're such a spread now of everything from, you know, the competitor analysis for SEO, for content, social media, scheduling and understanding. But for your, from your personal point of view, not necessarily from SEM Rush, but from your personal point of view, where should small to mid-sized businesses really be focusing their time and their efforts, if, especially if they have limited resources? Um, I would say they uh, should focus on the content that they build on the website. So um, um, I would say the workflow I'd recommend would be this. So they definitely well they have the their domain and they have domain of their competitors so they should go and analyze um the keywords that uh people search well search for and then well those domains rank for also they would uh, they should they obviously know five to six main keywords or the main well main words associated with their business so I would recommend that they understand what uh, really ranks in search. So what are the most popular queries and most popular questions that the audience is understanding, is, 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 uh, is asking in Google um, and what the competitors rank for. Um, and then f from that, they are already ab able to build the keyword list. Uh, what they also can do um, is understand, um, well, ask customer support uh, what questions their potential clients have for that they don't need the tool and um, they just go to the team and then check their inbox and then uh, well check for, for the client's questions um, so they have a list of most popular questions and most relevant questions that uh, potential clients are asking and what I would suggest is that the business owners take this list also take the recorder, uh, audio recorder, and then they go to the professionals within the company. So I would um, give example. So if you're, well, if you're in healthcare and then you have a um, uh, well, list of questions connected to, uh, to the services you provide, then you ask this list of questions to the doctors, record their answers, and then order uh, the, this content to be written by the content writer. And then you publish it on the blog. 
And basically, then you have the chance of uh, ranking this content uh, because already 50% of traffic uh, of the websites uh, comes from Google. And social media will give what is a good um, thing to focus on for the existing community. But I would definitely, in order to get more clients, I would definitely invest in the content. I would ask the biggest experts, the strongest experts you have. And then um, I would try to rank my content on Google. Um, and I would not try to rank the content that would be connected to my company, but I would rather go a bit one step higher and check for question informational queries. So if that's um, um, if that's um, like clinic again, like then I would uh, aim at the keywords like why does my knee hurt uh, not necessarily about the clinic but about the health state and that would um, if you if google chooses you as a um, trustworthy source then people will no look no further and then they if they have the best information at hand and then you are the one that provided it they're gonna stick to uh, your business and become a client so that's definitely some something that every company could do um and um this well the strength the strength of uh uh small business here is that they can laser target their questions and also um business owners are still so involved in the day-to-day -day operations that they really know what they're selling and they also really know the pains of the customer. So uh, it's easier for them also to create the content. They're much more agile than big companies and they have um, a really good chance of ranking for long keywords. So I would say six, seven words in the, in the question. That would be something that you need to target. I think it's really interesting because again, what you're saying completely resonates for me. A lot of people get caught up in trying to create content with their own intentions in mind, i.e. I want to get more clients and they don't realize or they don't take the time to look at it from the other side, which is forget about you trying to secure a client, even though that is the ultimate goal. It's what we're all trying to do. But when it comes to that content creation process, what we're really trying to do is get give somebody something that has absolute value that they're going to be able to take away from and that they're going to be able to then say, great, like you mentioned there, you know, I'm, I'm not going any further. I trust these guys. They've given me the answer to what it is I was looking for. Now I need the extra help, which is getting in touch with them or booking an appointment or whatever it might be. And I think it's too easy for too many people to, to focus on the, the end result so basically everything is created, you know, why you should buy my product, why you yeah. should, as opposed to actually trying to help the end user and that target audience. And exactly what you said as well, you know, by going with those longer keyword uh, phrases that you can start trying to create content for, one, obviously it's a far less competitive space than a one word or a two word kind of search, but actually it's more specific to your target audience which is even more important because those are the people who are most likely to then purchase from you, whatever your service might be, whatever um, your product is, it doesn't really make any difference, but that's how you really get that targeted down. So instead of going for the words that have a million searches uh, a month, but actually if you manage to get 
you know, 50% of all the traffic of just the thousand people who are really looking for that exact piece of help, then you're far more likely to get a chance to convert those than you are to get the mass market. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. agree 100%. Okay, cool. So in terms of competitors, and obviously I know you guys uh, and the tool that you offer does give people the opportunity and the the potential to be able to see how competitors are, are ranking for other content. But what do you think is important, especially in that small business kind of lane? What are the important factors to really be looking at when you're doing your competitor analysis? Um, I would say it's important to um, it's important firstly to know yourself, your offering, and um, then look at the if that small business, then look at the niche. Um, that you serve serving. So um, let's take the well SEM Rush. Uh, when you type in the domain in um, of your capacity in SEM Rush, we'll give you the nationwide list of keywords that might not necessarily work for small business. So we have a tool that would allow you to track rankings and also discover your local competitors in uh, in the city on the city level. Um, and I think that's what. Um, small businesses really should aim for. Um, um, so not really looking at the, like a, the, the big picture, even in the tools. Well, all of the tools will give you this really big overview, but look for the, for the tools that, well, in, in our case, that's position tracking, where we would um, really determine the local competitors that you really need to look at because they, um, well, we would um, then analyze the searches of only this area and then show you who you're competing with in terms of attention in the Google search. Um, I would say also what I really um, look at myself is the, well, strategies and you need to understand the traffic sources um, of your website and competitors' websites. So that is... um, um, that can be done with traffic analytics. Um, you will use Google Analytics for your own website, and we have traffic analytics to compare your website to others. Uh, there is also um, a free report uh, by SimilarWeb, um, and it gives you the overview um, and for free. Um, and uh, this is just a really, again, top-level information. If you want to dig deeper and then if you need to look, well, go local, then um, it won't be uh, free. And both us and SimilarWeb, but definitely look at the traffic sources and understand maybe you have a really strong referral strategy, well, for referral traffic, meaning that a lot of websites link to you and uh, mention your company and then include the link to your website. And then, and your competitors are placing a lot of ads. And this is really important to understand because the budgets may be different and um, the internal team is different. So maybe they have, well, you have a strong PR um, uh, person within the team and then they have performance manager. So I would, I would definitely look at the, where the traffic comes from. And that really tells me a lot of, about whether, um, companies heading and then where they strong at and i would never suggest uh that the company follow their competitors in the terms of uh strategy so always look at the points where the competitors are weakest because that's where you have the 
most strength and following their path. And then sometimes just companies really um, fall in this trap of uh, thinking, okay, if they do something, then it means it's working and we have to do the same. So if they if they're already placing ads today, then of course you can place ads. And I think that's a great strategy and then you should invest in um, advertising. But doing the sim- exactly similar approach would just increase the comp- well the competition on this well in, in, in ads. While if you actually focus more on media, more on referrals, then um, you're, you, you're approaching the empty field and then so-called blue ocean where uh, there's not much competition and you have a whole um, attention to yourself. Um, that's definitely what small bu- small businesses should care about. And when it comes to bigger companies, then of course it's uh, a question that they have to use all possible channels and then uh, allocate budgets accordingly. But for small businesses, because the sources, well, the um, resources are so limited, then I would definitely always look at where competitors are going and going in the opposite direction. I like it going against the tide as opposed to trying to join it. And exactly what you yeah. said there, especially when it's a competitive market already, if you're doing the same thing, such as Google ads, because they are too, then all you're actually going to do is push up the price of what it's going to cost you and what it's going to cost them and get yourself into to bidding wars for very similar keywords, um, as opposed to looking for the other the other opportunities. And again, it always comes back down to that, doesn't it really, in terms of, you know, going for those niche audiences, finding those real target audiences, and then being able to actually go after them where they are and how they are doing or what, where they're actually hanging out. I think that's a huge, um, a huge point for, for everybody listening, especially when you're a small business, especially when you have limited resources at these, on those early stages. Um, you know, you don't have to be all things to all men. Uh, and in fact, you know, if you're trying to be so, vanilla that you please everybody, then invariably what ends up happening is you actually end up pleasing nobody, which is a a real shame as well. Um, Okay. So Olga, in terms of yourself personally, uh, and I ask this question now to all the guests that have come on, uh, what's your favorite social media network to use? uh, Again, for yourself personally, if you'd like to talk about it for work as well, I'd be happy to know too. Mm -hmm. So I have um, two. um, So it's, well, I just, uh, it's Facebook and Instagram and I use Facebook for work. And, um, so how I arranged my Facebook feed is, um, I, well, I got to know a lot of influencers and then I went to my friend list and I labeled, uh, the most important influencers, uh, as C first to ensure that whatever they're talking about, um, and then also pick the ones that would talk about business and not share um, a lot of personal updates, but rather just share industry updates. And that way I get the industry updates um, firsthand because that's what if influencers care about this, then I ultimately also can just join the discussion and then I ensure that I see the hottest discussions first. And um, I also use Facebook Messenger um, in our in our uh, industry that works, uh, which is well, marketing professionals they do use um, 
Facebook and all of the other platforms for work. So that's easy. Not for well, that's not for everyone, but that definitely works for me. So we have um, chats with um, uh, clients and with um, uh, influencers on Facebook Messenger, and um, yeah, so it's ninety nine percent work. And Instagram is something that I use for inspiration uh, because I follow the bloggers uh, that I. Um, yeah, I'm interested in, uh, and it's mostly psychology, it's personal development, self-growth. And uh, also, I am subscribed to everyone on my team because I care about them deeply. And um, I feel that it just, yeah, for me, it's important to know what they're passionate about off work. And uh, I also can, well, just, yeah, see what, what inspires them and then what they're doing. And, um, yeah, I have only the team and the bloggers that I would want to follow. Is your Instagram open? Yeah, yes, yeah. I don't post there often, but I just, um, yeah, I follow more uh, than I'm, I broadcast. Okay, so what's your handle then so that people can, uh, can come and find you? It's... Uh, Olga Andrienko with one A in the middle. So it's just O-L-G-A-N-D-R-I-E-N-K-O. And um, that's the same uh, name that I have on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. Awesome. There you go, guys. You can find Olga and follow her to see what she's up to. Uh, And last question before we wrap this up. uh, What's the one biggest tip or piece of advice that you would give to anyone who's listening uh, to try and help them with their marketing? I know it's a tough one, but but, but yeah, just the biggest tip or the biggest thing that you think of uh, to try and help them. Um, Well, that would be very, I would say, top level. that will always apply their strength because ultimately they will end, they would end up doing only what they want to do and then everything that they just have to do will not be done to the best of their ability. So they just um, should find the niche uh, in marketing that applies to their strengths and to their passions. And um, then it's just, yeah, the road is open. I love it. Fantastic. Olga, thank you so much for taking time out of what I imagine to be a very busy day um, (laughs) to talk to us. And I really do appreciate it. Uh, Thank you again. And uh, I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. The All About Digital Marketing podcast is brought to you by Social Inc., a distributed digital marketing agency specialized in delivering results through online campaigns. Whether it's content marketing, social media marketing, online advertising or web design, we've got you covered from strategy through to delivery. If you're struggling with your digital marketing, get in touch today by simply visiting www.socialinc.co.